Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics Podcast for the Savage Critics website. Welcome to installment one of episode 39, wherein Graham McMillan and myself discuss Fear Itself number two, and our expectations generally for event crossovers. Careful listeners will also be able to find encoded deep within discussions of Journey into Mystery number one, trailers for Green Lantern and Conan, and Graham's latest dietary adventures. We hope you enjoy, and as always... Thanks for listening. Jeff Lester! <laughs> that is for everyone on Twitter who made fun of me for saying Jeff Lester at the start of every podcast. I think I think it's something everyone sort of likes, though. And, and they were much <laughs> faster at catching on that I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess it is kind of a thing, isn't it? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't even realize it was a thing until everyone started saying it. I was like, huh. Okay, then. <laughs> exactly. I, I guess I'm that predictable. <laughs> well, you know, we are we are creatures of habit in our own ways, I suppose. It's, um, it's very true. Mm-hmm. I mean, my habits... My habits, actually, Jeff, ruined by this whole doctor thing. Yes, yes. So, I, so I, went, I went to the doctor yesterday, and as I've already said in this podcast, I was told how many... how much water I should be drinking per day. That then got changed yesterday. She introduced new math. Th- this is my new math for how much water I should be drinking per day. Okay. T- take my weight in pounds. Okay. Right. Half that number, gotcha. and that's the, that's the number of ounces I should drink as a baseline. However, for every caffeinated drink I drink, mm-hmm. I should drink another glass, and for every hour of exercise I do, I should drink two more glasses. Okay, now let me see if I can do this math right. So they're saying that you need to drink, wait, a a glass is how many ounces? Like eight ounces? uh, A a glass is, oh God, I have to work this out because I know that I'm, for example, I know I have to drink 70 ounces a day. And I know that that breaks down as to like five glasses. Ah, oh, five glasses. Okay, so it's like, well, it's more than 12 ounces. Was it 14 ounce? You've got a 14 ounce glass. That's kind of yeah. big, but all right. So, right. So, uh, 70, 84. So, basically, you're saying you have to drink somewhere like uh, between 100 and 120 ounces a day. Yeah, in other words, <laughs> if, I, if, if I'm exercising, I have to drink, yeah, a lot. I drink a river of water a day. <laughs> And seriously, this is me reconsidering, like, do I need tea in the morning? <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, at some point, you're just drinking, that's all you're doing. You're just drinking water every day. <laughs> it's true. That does seem like a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, it's insane. Oh, oh wow. Well, my goodness. I know, I think... exactly. I was kind of like, huh, so that's what I'm doing from now on, is it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. My new hobby, drinking water. <laughs> Well, it's a good thing you live up in Portland where there's no uh, worries about, like, uh, water shortages or anything. Can I just say, yesterday we had a beautiful day here. It was warm, it was sunny, not a cloud in the sky, and we're all going to be like, this is lovely, I love this weather. And then today it's just pissing with rain. <laughs> it's like we have one really nice day, and then it's like, you know what, I'm not done with the rain yet. <laughs> Yeah, I, that can be tough. I, on the other hand, it's it's also not awful. I don't know. I'm so pro-water because, like, for example, the last few days, the weather has just been amazing, just sunny and warm. And so my next-door neighbor, in fact, 
just five minutes before we got on our call, my next door neighbor, oh wait, no, maybe he's still doing it. He has been, since 8 a.m., he has been sawing wood in his front yard, which of course is right outside our windows. And of course, because wait, wait, we why? don't have- Wait, wait, Because it's sunny? Yes. Yeah. Because, because <laughs> as soon, because part of the thing is, is that as soon as the weather gets warm here, we of course don't have it any sort of air conditioning so we have to throw up in our windows yes that's the loveliness of san francisco i remember that with mm-hmm. with almost fondness the fact that yes. every time it's really warm you just have no preparation you're like what yeah. oh god open all the windows just lie down stay close to the ground <laughs> exactly exactly so we're crawling around on our belly like snakes with the windows open and that's inevitably always when he comes out into the yard i mean he's a loud man anyway and the way his yard is set up it admittedly it's not altogether all his fault it's like a little natural amphitheater that directs everything through our windows but then he is one of the world's noisiest people so, and in addition, the way that he makes his living is involves any sort of construction type jobs, which he uses his front yard as prep area all the time. So when the weather is raining, of course, he can't stand out in the yard and like saw planks of wood, like from seven in the morning until 10 a.m. But when the weather's great, and of course we have our windows open, so it's, um, yeah, I hate him. <laughs> I really hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. He'll be listening right now, being like, "I really like that Jeff Lester. I think he's a very funny going. <laughs> what? Oh fuck, that bastards! It's totally true. It's totally true. I I have to admit, I you know, and I'd like to think I'm not an utter suck up. I don't, you know. He and I have gone through our barely nodding at one another on the street period, so I don't think he'll be suddenly crushed but it is always kind of embarrassing to realize wow i'm a petty person who who can is capable of hating other people just because they're like noisy you know well really i there are times when that does seem like the best reason to hate anybody <laughs> it is true it is true and of course there's that whole conundrum of like you know my my lovely wife works at home she, she you know he works at home it's just what he does tends to involve like sawing things, hammering things, throwing bricks against things, and yelling very loudly whenever anything goes wrong, which it always seems to do. What's so. what sort of yell? I mean, just a uh, or uh, you know, motherfucker, blah blah blah. Well, okay, so here's the thing: because he, uh, uh, I, I, because I do not understand Spanish, I do not. I'm not. Oh, so you, are, you actually says. don't know what he's saying, right? But I can give a relatively fair approximation, which is something along the lines of something happens usually because someone he's working with does something wrong, or he does something and drops something on his on his thing. He will go, no. You know, and in exactly that tone. I'm I really, come. really happy that you live that source of the Tasmanian devil. Yeah, I kind of do. He'll be like, <laughs> you know, really loud, really agitated. If I'm lucky, thanks to years and years and years of living next to him, I've become multilingual enough that I now know what the words "aki, aki, aki, aki" means. So I'm very lucky. Wait, 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 wait! What does it mean? You can't just say that. Oh, really? Okay. See, I thought you'd know. It means here. So what happens is when somebody Why puts something down. Why would I know? Down... I'm from Scotland. <laughs> oh 
know, you know, it's it's like a thing, I guess, you know. Okay, then. Yes, and in fact, I managed to, to sorry, in fact, my wife came out and wondering why I was yelling at you in Spanish, so I, I actually like, have to tone I'm, this down. I'm just explaining. Uh-huh. That's all uh-huh. I'm doing. I'm explaining. I'm trying to ca- I'm trying to catch just how 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 terrible my life can be for you, Graham, and other dear listeners. But yeah, this is this will be known as the podcast where where Jeff yelled at Graham in Spanish. So well, yeah, you I didn't know we, that. We I have our, just we have our title. <laughs> we do. We do. Oh, lucky listeners. So, uh, do you want to start talking about comics? Or I keep thinking there was something movie-wise that I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, well, Thor comes out, like, tonight. Yeah. Thor? That's right. I think, yeah. Well, sort of. I mean, I know that Hibsot. You haven't seen, have you seen a little tester screening already? Oh, Are you already oh, up oh on no. It? I, no. no. And also because Kate's mother is arriving tomorrow, then I don't think I'm likely to see it for at least a week. Wow. Well, that I mean, that's okay. I, I will live without. It has to be said. <laughs> I, I am I am perfectly fine giving. Apparently, it's great. Everyone who's seen it has been mm-hmm. surprised by how much they've enjoyed it. Really, I know exactly. It's kind of like, huh? Like they actually Marvel might have pulled one out of their butt this time. Well, I mean, but, you know. But to be fair, I think Thor was the one that everyone expected to be okay. I think Captain America is the one that everyone is kind of worried about. Yeah. Especially that it's in reshoots now. It comes out in two months. I know. I know. It's just kind of crazy that they're still working on it. Um, but, you know, I don't know. It's the kind of the nature of the beast in some ways, I think. I I, I think Cap's just not. I, it might be a good film, but I don't think it's going to be a hit. I, oh, yeah. I, I think Thor is go, it's going to be like, um, remember they did Iron Man and Hulk in the same year? It's going to be the same thing. Right. Like, the successful one comes out first, and everyone's like, my God, they've got the superhero thing down. And then, like, the follow comes out, and they're like, oh, and that happened. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. I don't know. I mean, which is a shame, because, of course, I'm going to be that that guy, that guy who's going to be the, oh, but, you know, that Thor movie was actually okay kind of guy. So um, I'll try not to put you through that. Um, to be fair really wasn't that bad but it it was no iron man for sure so the hulk the hulk, yeah. the hulk was was fine the, the <laughs> That's lo- it, it, it was fine do you know what i mean <laughs> you know what actually really reminds me of it really reminds what? me of the trailers to green lantern mm. i really would not be surprised if green lantern ends up being like the hulk interesting interesting A- I anyone think- who has the hulk on dvd Watch the trail, the new trailer for Green Lantern just came out yesterday or last week when you listen to this, and then watch the Hulk, the the Louis Leterrier one. Mm-hmm. I I I don't know. There's something about the Hector Hammond plot in Green Lantern that really reminds me of the um, Tim Nelson scientist guy in Hulk. Oh right, yeah. Which they boy they did a bad job. I mean, again, that there are parts that are not. I would be hard pressed to call called it a great movie like you said it was fine but i think generally when people are like well that was a huge mistake i'm like eh. it was mostly okay there was a couple of fuck-ups i actually i think they're hoping that green lantern is going to be like thor because god knows when i saw that first trailer for thor i'm like no 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 this isn't going to work and each trailer seemed to get successively a bit better like i was like oh okay i could actually see myself not 
not, <laughs> not, not hating this. Exactly. I was like, am I am I going to use that term? But yeah, exactly. Not hating it. Now I'm sort of, I mean, Thor, of course, I'm sort of mildly looking forward to. But Green Lantern sort of also has had that ramp up where, I don't know. I, I love that every single time there's a new Green Lantern trailer. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much the same footage, but a little bit more. Do you know what I mean? It's like, by the end, they keep releasing so many trailers about By the time the movie comes out, you will have seen the entire film. I do wonder about that. I don't know quite why they keep doing that. I, I personally think that they should have... I don't know. I I, uh, I I thought, actually, their second trailer had enough improvement that... Oh, no, I haven't seen this most recent one. I mean, it's already it's been... It's essentially the same trailer. There, there's, just... there's, like, a little bit more. But mm-hmm. really, a little bit more. What yeah. people seem to be noticing is that uh, in some special effect shots, uh, Hal no longer has his toes showing in his boots. <laughs> Seriously, that's that's the level of like analness that people are, are paying attention to over this. Um, what <laughs> what is really in the new trailer is you hear more of the aliens talking, right? Um, which I really hope they're going to do something with before they release the film because mm-hmm. in. Every trailer I've seen so far, it honestly sounds like someone is in a studio as opposed to in a location, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I totally know what you mean. I think there was that whole thing where um, when when Sinestro starts, shows up and is talking, he he looks pretty great. But yeah, his voice sounds so disconnected. Yeah, from there's the exactly the, the, the new trailer is Kilowog talking and it's exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like this, you know. I really hope you're going to add some ambient noise or music or something, because oh, otherwise, yeah. like it just there's a really weird disconnect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you know, I mean, yeah. at the same time, Green Lantern I think is going to be a hit because of Ryan Reynolds. Like Kate has absolutely no interest in Green Lantern, but every single time there's a trailer, she's like, "I would go and see that because it looks like Star Wars, and I really like Ryan Reynolds." You know what's weird is I really feel like the Star Wars thing is is the one that's getting people. Like I, I I've heard more people kind of talk about it and, and mention Star Wars, and I'm kind of like I don't quite see that. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I on, I honestly think it's like the space <laughs> thing. Really, right? Maybe think. that's it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I I think it'll be a hit. I uh, I'm not sure it'll be good, but I think it'll be a hit. Oh yeah, I think it actually could be very bad. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, that's that's the thing about this stuff is is like. Um... But all the all the trailers. Do you remember before the first Iron Man came out, the Onion did a really really funny video about mm-hmm. how could the movie live up to the trailers, and that everyone loved the trailers, and then they developed it into a full length movie that disappointed people. Do you remember mm-hmm. that? I'm that's what Green Lantern reminds me of. <laughs> It's like everyone loves the trailers. You have no reason to release this movie now. Just, just let the trailer stand for it. <laughs> if they could figure out a way to to monetize the trailer, they might very well. Um, actually, I was watching a trailer for some. Oh, <laughs> yes, I'm sure. Equally, like in the same league as Thor and Green Lantern and even Captain America is Conan the Barbarian, which I was just watching I have, a trailer. I haven't for. even seen the trailer. I. We have we've got Apple TV. Uh, oh, really? And that has like a link to trailers, all the trailers on the Apple site. And I, right. I periodically just like I haven't seen this trailer, boop, and spend like ten minutes watching trailers. I have almost avoided on purpose the Conan trailer. I don't know why. I just can't bring myself to watch it. Well, I can think of there being a multitude of reasons. Like, is it that bad? Well, yeah. Well, no. I meant just for you. But first, yeah. Let let me just 
cut away the fat and say the trailer is not good. Like the trailer is everything, like everything about this movie screams. If it wasn't for the fact that they're dumping the money into 3D, I'm like, this is never going to get released in North America. Everything about it is like, you know, coming to the Philippines near you. You know, I mean, it just, it just doesn't, it doesn't, I mean, they'll have to get things, hopefully they'll get things worked out, but there is, there is some shitty CGI. Conan, the the actor looks incredibly game. He's incredibly like he. There's not an ounce of irony. They're like, okay, snarl more. Give me twenty percent more snarl. Like, okay, like swing the sword and snarl. But he's just like, I'm sure everyone's got their own image of Conan. Mine is a little less mascara. You know what I mean? Like he's really a pretty guy. What have you got against mascara, dude? I don't know, maybe I'm just like, I don't see barbarians using it. Call me old-fashioned, but I'm like, know ye, oh, prince, in the days before, man, uh, you know, Atlantis sunk beneath the waves. There was a lane of men who, like, medicated and knew how to scrub and epilated. You know, it just strikes me as deeply wrong. Someone uh, quite clearly has been reading Matt Fraction's Thor. <laughs> Really? Is that like a big thing for, for Thor? Is no, it like... just just that um, type of overbearing narration. Oh, yes. Thank you. Well, that was actually me uh, thumbing through Conan, the the newspaper strip, the the hardcover of that, you know, that by uh, Roy Thomas and uh, John Basima. <laughs> of course, by Roy Thomas. Jason Momoa is uh-huh. is Conan. Yes. Uh, on IMDb, it's telling me that besides Conan, he's oh, he's in a Game of Thrones. Yeah. And uh, Baywatch. And Stargate Atlantis. And Baywatch. And a North Shore as well. And oh, I'm sorry. Is is North Shore a Baywatch spinoff? No, no, no. It, it seems to be a different thing altogether. Uh, oh, but hey, it wasn't just in Baywatch. He was also in Baywatch, Hawaiian Wedding. Oh, wow. Well, see, that's it. I mean, I don't really want to diss this guy because, I mean, A, I'm sure he works hard. B, see, this is, he just, he's game, but he seems really sweet. Like, who knows? Maybe he's like a dick in real life, but there's just everything about him. Like, the first, the the first trailer I saw, and especially this trailer, I'm like, because it builds up to, you know, it's like, the land needs a warrior who will stand for... And suddenly he spins around, and I'm like, "Huh, he? <laughs> huh, is that who we've got? Is that yeah, is that huh. the warrior we get? Exactly. <laughs> Once he was a smoothie counter clerk. Now he is a barbarian. Oh, I mean, he... oh, smoothie counter clerk. Please tell me you've had a chance to go to the store and pick up pure itself, number two. No, I haven't. In fact, I was looking forward to hearing your okay. review. The reason I, I said that is Fear Yourself Number 2 starts with Odin arriving bizarrely in the remains of Asgard, even though Asgard is now on Earth, but somehow there's other Asgard in Asgard space. Sure. Because, you know, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and But he does this big, big dramatic speech, uh, and he's going on about how Earth is going to get taken over by the serpents and how they have to have war. And he goes, the serpent rises as guardians. We shall transform ourselves into gods of war to crush them beneath our boots again. The serpent has returned. We rise against them. We shall purge Midgard of his presence. We shall erase Earth once and for all. And then you turn the page and there's a double page ad for Thor Slurpees. <laughs> <laughs> I just... 
there's something about that. I just, it's the greatest ad placement ever. Because honestly, it goes from that to across the pages and giant lighters saying, Slurpee. <laughs> I can't wait to buy this comic now. That is awesome. It's so great. <laughs> it I mean, it completely, completely undercuts everything they're going for. I, oh. I think it's beautiful. Marvel, Marvel, Marvel. <laughs> <That's Sorry. amazing. laughs> Cry havoc and let fly the dogs of Slurpee. <laughs> now in five flavors. It's, oh. only, it's only four. You can apparently have Destroyer Slurpee, Loki Slurpee, Thor Slurpee, or Sif Slurpee. Okay. They're not flavored? Uh, it's just cops. named? It's cops, I think. Fuck them, man. I wanted Loki Lime. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, right off the bat, I was like, oh, I already know. It's going to be like Loki Lime. <laughs> did, did you see the um, spectacular Twitter thing where people were coming up with Thor-related puns to describe the movie? No. Was, oh, I wish I'd seen that. It was it been an incredible. Awesome. <laughs> the story arose thorganically. <laughs> that is an awesome meme. What? What did it have a hashtag? I don't think it did. It was just Matt Springer up. yesterday. It was like, I want to come up with this. God bless the man. That is awesome. Odin credible. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, actually, um, I, 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 in order to be able to talk about it, well, actually, I will talk about this later. Since we're talking about all things Thor, I will come back to talking about the you know. But uh, tell me more about Fear Itself number two. How did it hold up? Um, Slurpee. Let, uh, let's just say that it didn't hold up spectacularly well. Uh, oh, dude, you're doing this whole thing where you're like, I don't want to come across like a fraction. Back I, I don't want to allow me to be, no, to be it's, diplomatic. It's, no, it's not, it's not even that. Um, mm -hmm. It really, it seems very drawn out, more drawn out than it deserves to be. Um, very little actually happens in it. Mm. Uh, and what happens in it mostly is various characters, Marvel characters, discover the hammers and pick them up and get turned into evil versions of themselves. Right. The problem being, you see that happen, uh, I think, three times. It happens, mm -hmm. Let's see, it happens with Juggernauts, happens with the Hulk, it happens with Titania, Titania? Hmm. Uh, whatever the Observing Man's girlfriend is. Um... And Wait, it's really... girlfriend? Wait, who? Wait, which yeah, character? The absorbing you say? man's girlfriend. Oh, absorbing man. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, uh, yeah, Titania from way back from yeah, Civil yeah. Wars okay, yeah. one or whatever. Yeah. Um, but the problem being, it's the same scene each time, right? Uh, which gets incredibly, incredibly repetitive. Mm -hmm. Um, and also, it just—I don't know. There's something about it that just doesn't ring true, even for that sort of setup. So that at the end of the issue where it says, follow the Absorbing Man's hammer quest in Iron Man. Follow the Grey Gargoyle's transformation in Invincible Iron Man. I'm kind of like, I don't want to because it's just going to be exactly the same scene I've just seen three times. Eh, or maybe it's a little different, but kind of, uh, to me, there's kind of an additional stage of, again, I'm like, who cares? You know what I mean? Like, I, I think I said this last time where, where you were like worried about spilling the identities of the worthy. And I'm like, but who cares? You know what I mean? <laughs> like there, to me, I mean, I just mean that there's nothing to me inherently interesting about the idea 
that somebody's going to be called something else and they're going to like hit things. You but know what it, I mean? The, it just uh, seems like completely arbitrary. The other problem for me is that um, who cares is a really good way of describing Fear Itself number two because it mm -hmm. seems really well planned. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Oh, you have all these characters picking, discovering objects that turn them into toyetic other versions of themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, that's great on the long, on the, you know, the grand scale of planning and selling Marvel products. Um, it's, you know, it's a disaster that's happening all around the world. That's great for the story. You know, Thor is imprisoned by Odin to emphasize the scale of how scared Odin is. That's great. It is all done so so ham-fistedly mm -hmm. that it's, I don't know, just the hand of the writer seems far too present in the story. And mm -hmm. there's no momentum. And there are parts where, especially, for example, the last page is almost comedically, like if someone said, do a last page of a world-spanning epic um, cliffhanger, you would come up with this last page, which is pulling out from Washington, D.C. on fire, to see the entire globe essentially under attack while you overhear uh, radio signals mm -hmm. uh, that all get cut off. And the, the captions even includes, where are the superheroes? Who's coming to save us? That sounds really... Red alert, red alert. This is not a drill. Okay, just out of curiosity, A, why is Washington, D.C. on fire? Oh, because um, Sin, <laughs> Sin, the Red Skull's daughter, who is now yes. like... I don't know, like as guardians and um, has an army of Nazi robots that are attacking Washington. Okay. And where are the superheroes exactly? Uh, that's a really good question because they've all, because I mean, they've they're all, there at the end of the first well, they've issue all been going dispatched to take care of this, but for some reason they've not appeared. So, so in other words, the, the real, you know, crushing threat of Fear Itself number two is apparently like laggy commuter time or yeah, something it's, like it's that? Yeah, it's apparently the, the crushing threat is where have the superheroes gone? I mean, it actually says that. Where are the superheroes? Even um, though the superheroes are there, were not wiped out during the course of issue two or were not imprisoned in limbo or have not been dragged into... Yeah, yeah, they're just not there. Okay, so in other words, this is... that. I think that qualifies as sloppy. Like, well, there, really bad, right? But there's also, I mean, <clears throat> there's also, <clears throat> excuse me. <laughs> um, uh, there's also the laziness of one of the hammers falls on Yancey Street. Mm. Which, again, is one of those things that, like, a cute idea, kind of. But when it's drawn out by Reed Richards looking at the Yancey Street sign and saying, tell Ben this one hit close to home. And then the next issue blurb is the hammer that fell on Yancey Street. It's like, holy crap. Give us a, a second to have, you know, it's considered this for ourselves as opposed to telling us oh, repeatedly, repeatedly. This is the Yancey Street one that the thing's picking up, everyone. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it feels, I don't know. It feels really familiar. It reminds me both of Blackest Night and of Millennium, weirdly enough. Um, and it just, there's no, there's no momentum and there should be at the end of the issue is everyone in the world is being attacked and there's these objects that are turning people into monsters and I don't care. I yeah. just do not care. Well, I, I mean, honestly, it sounds a lot like Axe Cop. 
you know, like, <laughs> oh, I, you know, in oh, X, no, seriously, an X cop bad guy Earth too. It's like this thing of where the the bad guy, like you keep getting all these arbitrary things, and then actually in that in the second issue, I thought they did a pretty good job of explaining how the bad guys get the arbitrary things. But I mean, like, it if the if the drama isn't organic, like why should you care? Because it's just being manipulated. It's not even. It's not even. There's a level of comic book storytelling where, which I, which is part of what I like about Axe Cop, or even say the comics of Jack Kirby, where the threat seems to come out of like nowhere, but it has a, it has the big idea behind it, and frequently, and this is especially true in Kirby, it gets turned over even more capriciously because there's an even weirder big idea like you know when iron man or submariner suddenly like show like incredible ludicrous powers they've never shown before and will never have again or like human torch was always great at like coming up like well i'll do this thing while i'll drain the heat from everybody's body and then i'll turn it into a giant convection oven and you're just like wait what what are you talking about you've never done this before in like 300 issues of fantastic four at least that's entertaining you know what I mean? So there's a level of that. But if you don't have the entertainment value of, like, cool people doing cool stuff, you know, but you but you have all the blatant manipulation of, like, this is happening and there's nowhere there. No one's there to stop it because of no reason. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah, really... It's, it's just, it's all too on the nose. I mean, Sin has an army of Nazi robots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, Really? I don't know, and the one plus, the one plus it has, is that there is no more terrible real world politics in the second right. issue. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like the family that drove away because they couldn't afford their house, and the Avengers didn't buy them a second house. Right. You know they they don't reappear. <laughs> they don't drive into one of these things. Yeah, I mean, maybe they'll be time. back next. Still yeah, time. exactly, exactly. Um, it's very early, and I sort of half hope they do because otherwise, I mean, as okay. terrible as that stuff was, at least it wouldn't feel like it was a, a time waster. You know what I mean? But this really does. Like this feels like that second issue feels like a tremendous amount of vamping, which is I, not well, it, a good the, thing. I'm not even sure it feels like vamping as much as getting everything in place. Do you know what I mean? It, it, it feels yeah. very much like, well, this is where everyone needs to be for their spinoff. The, I, I tell like there's actually a second great thing about Fear Itself number two is that um, Atuma, the, mm-hmm. the Submariner villain, uh, gets renamed when he picks up his own hammer as Nerkod. What? Nerkod. N-E-R-K-K-O-D. Nerkod. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a spectacular name. Uh, so, the, yeah, so their their names are Nerkod, uh, right. Skirn, Novel right. and what's the other one? The other one is Kurth, hmm. and they are they're all breakers of other things. So Kurth, who's the juggernaut, is breaker of stone, right? And then Null is the Hulk; he's breaker of worlds. Then Titania's Skirn, breaker of men. So you know, it's kind of lucky that she got that one as opposed to like the Hulk, because then right. you know, right? What would you do? Uh, there, there'd be some serious like. Issues of confusion, and then and then what are the odds? Atuma is Nerkod, breaker of oceans. Yeah, yeah. Again, I'm just like, yeah. Who cares? I mean, I mean, not only is Atuma like a bad choice, but out of the whole like, that's one where I'm like, I'm not even down with the whole concept, and it seems to make sense that Submariner should get that. 
You know what I mean? Like Submariner should, if you're going to have to have an undersea hammer, which sounds stupid, you should give it to the Submariner because of that thing that I think actually maybe one of our commentators mentioned that the heroes who end up with the hammers uh, of the worthy are the dudes who are inspire fear, you know, like Hulk thing, you know, I don't know where Juggernaut stands on the hero victim scale currently. I th- he, you... He's a hero. He's he's in Thunderbolt, so being a hero. Right. Okay. So he's he's a hero, but they're the heroes that inspire fear. I guess you know mm-hmm. what I mean. And it seems to me that's a perfect description of Submariner, considering the dudes always like declaring war on the on hu- the human race. I, I'm at least I'm to. now wondering how many hammers are there. Because there's four, there's four in this issue. This issue. Then they say the Observing Man gets one in Iron Man two, mm-hmm. and then Greg Argyle gets one in, Iron, in Invincible Iron Man. Right, and then there was the person who and got one. There's the, there's got the, hers last issue, right? Yeah, and then there's the thing as well. Mm-hmm. So that's one, two, three. That's eight. I thought hours. there were like seven. Yeah, but that's eight maybe. already. They're just going to continue being more. That would just like be great. 22 hours. <laughs> that, you know, you got to admit, like, by the time they get to fear itself, number five, and there's this, like, it's just like more people, like, every other page is like <laughs> dozens of hammers falling, and it's like like nine million spin offs. It's going to be, boy, we're going to be sorry then. But it's, it's aren't we already sorry? <laughs> I don't think I meant for quite the same reasons, but yeah, no, I, uh, well, um, I, let me say, I did, although I have not made it to the store this week or last week and therefore am slow, I've been reading books and catching up on things. And I have to say that I enjoyed uh, Fear Itself Journey into Mystery, the the Loki spin-off <laughs> title by Karen Gillan. As the Karen Gillan one that everyone said, oh, it's the best Neil Gaiman comic he's never written. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, 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 I didn't pick it up, but I'm, I actually meant to, I just remembered you know, you you should. You should. I, I thought that it was really, really sort of well put together in that it didn't – I think in some way it, it was just – it was told well enough that it actually didn't feel like vamping and did a really great job of very organically setting up the – setting up the status quo of the book without seeming um, – I don't know, vampy. You know what I mean? Like it, it's it's all sewn together really, really well. The whole reason, the way the story unfolds, the, the way it, the way it does, is of course tied in perfectly to the character. And Gillen just seems to have like a very, very strong idea of of Loki and this incarnation of Loki and what he's doing. So I don't necessarily know where it's going to go from there. I mean, I definitely feel like it because it ends with some of the events at the end of Fear Itself number one, but yeah, it was it was it was it was a good comic. I mean, it was... I, I'm really cynically tempted to say, "Well, give it a few months, and he too will become a lazy Marvel hack." <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, I, as somebody who has not exactly been down with Gillen's other stuff, I'm like, maybe it wouldn't necessarily hurt. Like, maybe he would actually. I don't know. I mean, the thing that's frustrating is, is I think that there's a. Um, there's a shelf life, you know? I kind of feel like he could very well be in six months, nine months, 12 months, could be telling really great, interesting Marvel stories, and we're all going to be super excited, and then two years from now or a year later, we'll be like, what happened? You know what I mean? Because, like, both Brubaker and Fraction, I think people were like, this stuff's good, we're very excited by it. And oh, no, no, I, I, sort of, I you think know what I mean? that's, that's what I was referring to. I think that mm-hmm. you get... 
really interesting, exciting writers in Marvel, and they go through a period of being like, wow, this is the best thing I've read from Marvel in ages. And then, like, within a two-year mark, all of a sudden, you'll get, like, a book, and you'll be like, huh, this isn't what I normally expect from them. And then what will happen is that book becomes, like, the benchmark of what they do. Right. I mean, you you said you didn't get to the store last week, so you didn't pick up Fraction's Mighty Thor issue one. No, I did not. But that was kind of like a lesson of how not to do a first issue. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing to me that it's by the same guy who did Invincible Iron Man number one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because everything that Invincible Iron Man got right, Mighty Thor got wrong. Mm. Um, and I just... I, I, I was really surprised it was the same guy. Hmm. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, but what I guess what I was going to say, and maybe you will you will disagree, is that I think that there are guys that have uh who have a certain degree of chops and actually but need a little extra element X, you know what I mean? And and I feel like the Marvel structure actually gives it to them and then but then it consumes them all too quick. You know? So like Brubaker I liked I liked Ed's stuff before he started working for Marvel. Okay, but I think that it actually brought a lot to his work working within the Marvel system in a way that a bunch of things clicked for him. And and I think it showed. I I, I mean, and I could be wrong here. People could well pillory me, but I don't think that his work on Criminal would be as strong as it is if he hadn't kind of earned his stripes. Well, yeah, earned it, but I mean, like, picked up some, gotten some additional skills in his toolbox that he got as a result of doing the Marvel books. And I think that Gillen might be the same way, where a lot of Gillen's other work has, has, has shown a lot of potential, but also, I thought, been kind of frustrating for me. And this was this, reading this issue, I was like, okay, enough of these things finally popped, you know? And who knows? Maybe maybe it'll hold together over the long run. Maybe it won't. But I'll be very curious to see. I think that it tends to. And you know, again, I'm I'm a little more, uh, I'm a little more formalisty. So I suppose for me, it's like, yeah, it's like plotting and structure. They really need to bring that stuff. They get it. <laughs> it and it totally like, helps. It turns out like you need to know plotting and structure. Exactly. Exactly. Isn't it a great help? And then eventually what happens is it gets into a sort of suffocating rhythm. I mean, and again, you know, Fraction is the guy who's like currently the, I don't know what, what the right word to say is, the the guy who basically really sort of disproves all that, I suppose. You know, because I think that Fraction was making really good sound comics before coming to Marvel, started just... I think doing very strong work. And now I think everyone's very like, he's a huge, huge question mark, you know? Is he a huge, huge question mark though? Because I, I think it's one of the things where he is to a certain uh, audience in the critical mm-hmm. field, but he's, his star continues to rise sales wise. Right. I, I guess what I mean is, is that, um, Right. No, his star continues to rise. I mean that he's a question mark in that people are very much – I think people went from, okay, here's a guy who does great indie stuff to stuff that is kind of boring me and frustrating me in the for hire work. But I kind of feel the question mark is kind of when he comes back to Casanova, is he going to kill it or is it 
or is it going to like sort of show some of the effects? You know, ha- mm-hmm. has it? Has this stuff actually weakened his chops overall to the to the fact where his Casanova work isn't going to be as strong, or he's not going, or is going to be less ambitious, or is going to be more ambitious but has more uh, failures or easy way outs, or you know what I mean? So, I, I that's sort of what I mean. But yeah, no, that's all on a certain level of critical guys who really loved Fraction's work before and I think are kind of waiting to see how it's going to turn out. And some of those people love that transition story in Casanova and other people are kind of like, you know, magic eight balled it and just don't, aren't, aren't sure, you know? So I, and for me, I don't, like I said, I don't feel like it necessarily will prove one thing or another. Yeah. I'm just really surprised that fear itself, that the first issue was, just really flaccid and it seems like it sounds like the second issue isn't really doing much more than that i mean there's like i, I would say the first issue is better than the second issue oh geez i mean the first issue is interesting to me because it's you know the art is great which helps and it has it reminds me of it reminds me of when jeff johns's work gets too rushed and he's like he knows that there's supposed to be a beat there's a big story beat that he's built that is there, but he's rushed it so fast that it doesn't have any impact, I guess. Yeah, that, that, that's a very good description of the second issue. Mm-hmm. All, all the beats are hit, but all the beats are flat. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's... Um, and again, Eminem's yeah. art is the saving grace of the book. Right. By far. I mean, he's giving the book so much more than I think the writing deserves. Mm-hmm. Um, and without, like, if it wasn't Eminem drawing it, even if it was someone, you know, another big-name Marvel guy, mm-hmm. I think it would be a totally different book. Yeah. Yeah, I can really see that, honestly. To me, I think it would be probably a less, it'd be a less interesting book, you know? Oh, yeah, de- no, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it, it is worth saying, and I think, I don't know, I, maybe we talked about this briefly during Blackest Night, uh, but, you know, maybe our expectations for big events are also kind of high. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I was we fall, about we fall for the hype? We, we fall for the hype, or we actually technically expect them to be good when <laughs> really, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, but you have expecting a book to be good is not having, is not setting your sights too high. Well, no, I I agree. On the other hand, I would have to say that historically, the history of crossover event books are generally that they're terrible. You know what I mean? Or or that they're dull. Like when you said, like it's kind of like there's a lot of setup for these other things. I mean, I re- Crisis on Infinite Earths. I remember reading it as it came out, and I'm like, there's tremendous amounts of stuff that I think is really dull there but you know then you mean? read the collection today and you're like this all hangs together spectacularly well <laughs> do you i mean maybe you do oh, oh, no, you don't. okay thank you i was about <laughs> to say <laughs> you've looked at it <laughs> so prices. um but see that's it are there really that many like we, even when i was bitching about blackest night i did kind of have that feeling of like this might be one of the best event books that i've ever read in that i can read it itself oh yeah black but, blackest night holds together as a, a book as a story mm-hmm. if you just get that collection you can follow that story and there there is an arc uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to as opposed to final crisis even <laughs> final mm-hmm. crisis doesn't have that uh, yeah but i think 
it depends what crossovers you're talking about. If you go back to something like a um a Legends. Mm-hmm. Legends is Fear Itself is actually really similar in some ways to Legends in that almost every issue of Legends isn't really telling a story as much as setting up what's happening in the other crossover books that one. Right. Well, and and I was going to say, like, let's say that there there are, and maybe we can think of more, but I would say there are two types of crossover books, and one is events, and one is the sort of the introducer, and one is the, I guess, the stuff happens. Like, Crisis is a huge introducer thing, where there's huge panels of people looking up and going, oh, there's red skies, what does this mean? And then you, it spins off into the book, or like you said, Legends um, has that thing where it's like, oh, here's your characters, and you get three or four pages drawn by a really good artist, and then, you know, you you have to go and pick up the, the tie-in. Oh, no, that that's exactly what Legends is. Legends is... You know, the cliffhanger of a given issue will not continue in the next issue. It'll continue in another book, and then the next you'll pick up the next issue, and the next issue will have the aftermath. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the classic one is issue one ends with the Justice League being like, we're going to kick this monster's ass! And, like, issue two has them getting covered in rubble. <laughs> and then, like, immediately, and then they're like, want to see what happened next? <laughs> and again, like, well, yes, that's why I bought the book. <laughs> Yes, that's exactly why why I why I picked up this issue. I do want to see what happens. Can, right. can you do that? Right, right, exactly. So, I mean, I guess in some ways, there's always been the the crisis, the legends, the 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 crossover events where you've got an artist that draws everybody really well and very pretty, and this event is the you know it's used as the springboard for all the other stuff or you get something like secret wars i guess or blackest night or i think maybe civil war where in theory the events are unfold the in the book itself and although there's spin-off stuff you can read just the book and be getting something that's kind of like a story you know what i mean mm-hmm. so but i but like i said generally i think you know so by their nature, I just think crossover event books have a tendency to not be very good. You know what yeah, I mean? But, because... but the problem with Fear Itself is mm-hmm. Fear Itself isn't even good within that Lord context. Right. Be, right, because it's... It's not, it's not, it's not just yeah. that it's not good. It's that mm-hmm. it's not even good for an event book. Right. Which, ouch. <laughs> I mean, it's really pretty, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but there's no momentum and no sense of urgency to it at all. Right. Even though there should be. <laughs> you read it and you're like, I should be really excited by this story, mm-hmm. as opposed to being excited by the story. Right. Exactly. Which I, I think is what, yeah, what happens. I, but the thing is, I think other event books can manage to make you excited. Even though, even with all everything else, Black as Night, I think, is a great example. Black as Night works really well as an event book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It has enough twists and turns to keep you involved in the story, whereas Fear Itself, two issues into it, which is like, what, a third? Is it not six, seven issues? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I have no idea. I I still feel like the story hasn't really started. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly, which is usually a bad sign. But like I said... I also felt that way with 
crisis. I think I might have felt that way with Millennium, I think. Because it's so a weekly of Yeah, but here's so. the thing. Millennium, I love dearly, as I think everyone on the internet knows. But I will be the first to say that if you're reading Millennium looking for just a story in and of itself in the traditional sense of story, you might be disappointed. Yes. <laughs> Well, right, exactly. But I guess what I'm saying is, is that that yeah, I I think it's it's probably worth establishing that a uh, crossover books are uh, big event books are their own sort of yeah they're their they own have, narrative they're, they're not yeah. traditional narrative at all exactly so they kind of have their own challenges and maybe they should be judged on sort of a separate uh, standard in a little bit and it I think it's worth pointing out that when you say like a Fear itself like fails that standard in particular. I think that's super telling, and it's also worth distinguishing because I think a lot of people will be very quick to go, "Oh well, but you know, but, but it's a crossover, yeah." Right, right, exactly. And I think it is worth pointing out that that you know. But again, I, I actually I said this on Techland this morning um, mm-hmm. about Taskmaster, the Fred Van Lente book. Um, I feel like I read that wrong because so many people get it and I don't, and I feel the same about Fear itself. I feel like I'm reading Fear Itself wrong because I'm going on Twitter and I'm seeing people being like, holy shit, did you see what happened? And I, I'm right. like, like, did part of my soul die and I, I, I'm <laughs> missing this and everyone else isn't? Like, it's called, I think it's called Growing Old, Graham, because I remember feeling that way about, about other stuff, I don't know, five or six years ago where I was just like, wait, really, guys? You don't think this seems incredibly manufactured and kind of boring? Like... You know, but maybe not. I mean, it could be. I'm just shocked. So, re- so response to fear itself num- number two has been strong. On, I, I, I'm, I'm seeing on the on the Twitters that people seem to be very happy. Very pro. It. Not 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 just not just Carla. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm no, I'm seeing like Benjamin Birdie and people like that on Twitter seem seem to be very excited about it. And like, this is great. A hammer fell in Yancey Streets. Awesome. <laughs> Wow, that's really interesting to me. I because um, that is that's one of those things where I was just like, Ooh. yeah, exactly. Really, a hammer fell on Yancey Street. Really, and you feel the need to point it out twice. <laughs> that's that's just it. If they hadn't pointed out, like if they had exactly the same panel with Reed mm-hmm. looking at the sign without him saying, "Tell him his head close to home," and if they didn't say next issue the hammer that fell on Yancey Street, it would be better. Do you know what I mean? Like, if it lets you be like, oh, that's Yancey Street. That has right. a connection to Ben Grimm. Without pointing it out to you twice. Well, I, I have to say, even part of me is kind of like, I'm like, but, you know, sort of like... I'm not saying it would be good, but I'm saying it would be better. No, 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 I agree. And part of me is like, you know, maybe... I don't know. I have a way in which part of me is like, okay, it's either going to like, it could come out to be this incredibly robust, interesting thing, but I have a sneaking suspicion that it's just going to be exactly what we expect. You know what I mean? Like, well, and maybe that's it. People's expectations are different. Like I'm sort of like, great. So the thing shows up over there and then picks up a hammer. Like, you know, I'm sort of like, it doesn't really seem worth building a lot of drama for, but maybe there's going to be, you know, because of course part of me is like, oh, <laughs> what if the Yancey Street gang pick up that hammer? See, you know, I that, mean, it's kind that of would, like, that would be awesome. But sadly, no, as solicitation show, 
uh, it's the thing, and he not only gets his own, I believe, one shot, an FF one shot, but he then goes on to fight the Hulk in Jeff Parker's side. Right, right. So I mean, like, part of me is like, so it's it's kind of like the dullest situation, unless they're doing some sort of flip flop on us, which I doubt that they are. I'm like, I would be more interested by a story in which somehow Yancey, some you know, the member of the Yancey Street Gang gets the hammer, which doesn't would be really hard to pull off anyway, since they're not characters you know what i mean they're never portrayed on panel um but what? you know where you... they've been portrayed on panel jeff have you I've for... never seen have you but... forgotten the classic thing issue one by john byrne <laughs> Dude, does he actually show the I, I can't remember if it's the first it's at some point in like the first two or three issues mm. yeah you actually see like the yancey street guy Oh, well, I've always seen them, but always in that Kirby-esque... Yeah, like, here's, here's, here's a hand. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's super important that you never see them, so... But, it's, yeah, it's like um, Aunt Petunia, who, of course, then made an appearance in Florence with you. That was always... Which is like, that's a bad idea, John. That's a really that is, bad idea. That is so bad. And that, you think that... you're being funny by making her young and beautiful, but you're not. She's an ape-ilf. You know what I mean? <laughs> really? An ape-ilf? Yeah, in April. Really? An Aunt Petunia. No, no, no. I, I know. I, <laughs> I knew from the first time you said April. I, I, that's why I was saying really, really. Because really, Jeff? Because really? that's, that's, dude, all I can say, I suppose it's funnier that John Byrne thought of that's thought that that would be a good idea before that was ever a term. But um, uh, I'm sure he was thinking that it was kind of like, oh, it's this classic. Like you always expect her to be and we'll make her this and this and this and this. And then, of course, as is always the case, what drives me crazy is like, isn't she like a archaeologist or like a bounty hunter? Or I honestly can't remember. She, it's something really bad where it's like a this kind of quasi Indiana Jonesy type thing, such that people compare to Indiana Jones in the dialogue of the book. I, I don't. I mean, it's, I, this is always my trouble with the Fantastic Four is whenever they've expanded to show the rest of the member, the uh, everyone's awesome. You know what I mean? Like. Like, oh, here's Nathaniel Richards. Nathaniel Richards, although a bad dad, is insanely awesome. And, and a time traveler. Right, exactly. I'm just like, really? Like, I mean, it's one of those deals where it's like, where people try and come up with, like, I'm like, out of all the things that we had to forget, you know, about, uh, you know, in Marvel continuity, one of the things we actually ended up keeping was the idea that, that Nathaniel Richards is a time traveler. Cause I think I'm assuming it's super core to, to Tom DeFalco stuff, right? You just can't. Yes. But also, uh, it's super core to Hickman. In, well, no, in, it's in not, but one title, but two. Uh, right. Yes. Shield. And who knows? I maybe even secret warriors. I'm not following it closely enough. He, he's, but... he's an FF and shield. And apparently, yes, he... But apparently Burns, because this shows how much I'm paying attention. Apparently, uh, Nathaniel Richards in FF is not the same one that's in Burns. But Burns, Nathaniel, is coming back to, I guess, fight Pigman's version of the character. <sighs> what? <laughs> no, exactly. It's one of those, really? That's That seems to be much more confusing than it needs to be. <laughs> Dude, it's Reed Richards' dad. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's, that's again, this is sort of my weird, like, this is obviously where my roots as a superhero fan goes 
far too deeply in uh, to stems from my being a, a narcissistic, you know, five year old kid. But I'm like, really? Like his dad's like a superpower time traveler, and now there's two of them, and they're going to fight? Like, really? Is that exciting? <laughs> really? To anyone? Really? You know what I mean? Oh, it's, like, it's very exciting. It's Jonathan Hickman. It's exciting to Jonathan Hickman, but like, seriously, how big is the Nathaniel Richards fan club? Is it like huge? Am I? Are it's, we misunderstanding? Tom DeFalco, Jonathan Hickman, yes, Tom Brevard, right, and David Uzumeri. <laughs> That's it. Hopefully, Graham. Hopefully. <laughs> I really do. If that's the case, I, I'm so tempted now to make a Nathaniel Richards fan club t-shirt and mail it to David. That would just be like the best. Um, it'll have, what yeah. I'll have is it'll have, it would be like Nathaniel Richards and then I'll have pictures of all the different ones across the chest. And then mm-hmm. it'll have a caption underneath that just says, annotate this. Right. Right. Well, I, I oh, that's brilliant. Yes. Annotate this. <laughs> David, we apologize. We love you, but not such a good shirt. Uh, you know, I I miss the good old days back when characters were popular only because capitalism told us so. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> y- you know, like you put Submariner in a book, sales go up. You put the Submariner in his own title, it crashes. So then you put him back in someone's book, it goes up. You know, like Silver Surfer. Like these are characters that that people responded to in a way that it was like, okay, well, if people really like this character, we're going to bring him back. Not like, oh no, the writer really likes this character, so you're stuck with it. Yeah, but but at the same time, are you really arguing that writers and creators shouldn't have that level of freedom to basically follow their their character bliss? Because if you are, you're basically saying, hey, remember that great Grant Morrison run? It wouldn't happen. Because who wanted to see Batmite come back? Who wanted oh, sure. To, do you know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. I, no, I, no, no, I feel no. you're condemning lots of really good comics to the shitter because you don't want to read John Nickman's Nathaniel Richards Monthly. Well, okay. It's worth pointing out that I, I'm I'm being quasi-devil's uh, des- advocate And, of course, I'm a big fan of um, – Again, I'm a big fan of how these things play out. Like when Morrison brings back Batmite, Batmite doesn't necessarily he, – he was a very weird, arguably creepy – I thought very creepy cameo in Batman R.I.P. Uh, so there's stages of things. But like for example, like – and this is, this is where you – where I have to admit I'm out of touch. But – even in my brief walkarounds of San Diego Comic Con floor, or um, you know, or WonderCon, or whatever, I never saw anybody. I never saw enough people that see that thought Sentry was cool enough to explain why he was essentially the center of the Marvel Universe for the four years that he was. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so to me, I think there is a little bit of a difference of like, I love it when characters are introduced and they're great and they pop and they really resonate with you. And then suddenly they're there that, that are super important. I also like the fact that there are times where, I don't know. I mean, there, there are, I have, I have a, a you know, the list of Marvel C-list characters that I love is, is a very, very long list. Uh, I just think that there's something that's kind of um, 
I do understand, like, when you get to that idea of, like, you know, as comic writers, you're like, okay, who are Reed Richards' parents? It's like Peter Parker. Like, the, the idea that Peter Parker's parents are spies, isn't that, like, stupid? You know no, what I no, mean? No, it is. It's, it's, I, yes, I completely agree with you on that. So, I mean, admittedly, I, I, I should I should keep these things, I suppose, somewhat unentangled, this, you know, separate, because there's a lot of different things here. I love C-list characters. I love that they get their shot in the in the spotlight. I also think that it's appropriate that if they do not actually, if they're not genuinely responded to, they have to go away. I do like the idea that the comic book, that creators have to respond to the market in a way separate and apart from we're going to close this book and relaunch it with a new number one, you know, a year from now, and then we're going to restart the numbering. Okay, but so. using that argument for the Sentry, the Sentry appeared in Ben's ridiculously successful Avengers titles. There was no sales signifier to suggest that the Sentry was not a popular character. It's just that he just happened to be appearing in titles that were selling well. Right. So should, why would Bendis have stopped using him? That's a good Do you know question. what I mean? Or the same with yeah. Dana Richards. Like, FF is horrifically successful compared with Fantastic Four books. Is it? Yeah, the sales for the... Apparently FF had similar sales to the Death of Johnny issue. Uh huh. So it sold like eighty thousand copies or something. Yeah, like but that. compared with regular Fantastic Four titles sales, that's no, 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 exactly. Good. Yeah, yeah, that's almost what three times or something yeah. or twice. Or, yeah, yeah. Okay, right, right. Uh, yeah, no, I, uh, you're well. I mean, I right, mean, I, so... I get your point, but I think your your arguments are getting confused because the things you're complaining about are not right. supported by your other argument. Right. Well, there's, 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 yeah, there is four arguments, and yeah, ultimately, but I, you're right, you're absolutely right. I'm like, but no, but Bendis's Avengers would sell the same amount. FF number one would sell the same amount, whether it's Ex like exactly, but that doesn't matter because according to you, the sales, like you have to react to the sales, and the sales are there. It's just they're not there for those characters. Do you know what I mean? Like if, if for some reason. Hickman's like, I'm killing off Nathaniel Richards in issue five, and then right. sales in issue six times. Then you could be right. like, well, the readers were, or, or the opposite, they like went up 100%. You'd be like, right. yes, readers didn't like that Nathaniel Richards character, but that's not going to happen. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, the death of the century did nothing to Avenger sales. Well, exactly. It did nothing to Avenger sales. And I mean, to me, that's that big sign of like, it doesn't matter. But I see what you're saying, which is ultimately then well, why not let the writers do whatever they yeah, want. They, 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 have, list. they have no reason not to because the sales are there. All right. Allow me to change my argument. The comic industry. <laughs> no. Are filled with assholes. <laughs> no, I, I, you're absolutely right. You're, you're being a profound voice of reason. No, but, but the thing is, like, I actually agree with you, I think, on every point. It's just, yeah. it does not make sense to put all mm -hmm. together. Yeah, no, I agree. They, the, the arguments do not support themselves. Yeah. No, they do. You're absolutely right. And again, you know... It's, what what oh. is going on in this podcast? I'm being the voice of reason. I know, really. It's like, Seriously? Oh. Seriously? That's where I was like, oh man, I've made a, a grave uh, logical <laughs> I, I, error. I, I, I've taken a wrong turning somewhere. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> man, I've really.
really fucked up now if, like, Grimes being the rational one. No, I mean, I think you usually are. Uh, Have you ever listened to this podcast before? Well, in a capricious way. I don't know. Can't you be capriciously rational? I guess not, huh? I suppose it's sort of a...